Filter Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. This is what we got for you today. Uh, segment one, me and my two co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong, are going to recap the Raptors uh, game last night that we were all at. Raptors losing to the Nuggets yesterday. Uh, then we'll take a break. Bring in Lewis Atzman, look at a little bit bigger picture with the Raptors. And then an hour or two, the Pound the Rock boys, uh, Joe Wolfon, Jessica Sharra, will join us to, you know, entertain some trade talk, entertain some trade ideas, and, and essentially, you know, restructure what the team might look like moving forward, hypothetically. But uh, let's start with the here and now. The Raptors lose uh, last night against the Denver Nuggets. Um, Blake, how you doing? I'm all right, man. That's uh, The game wasn't particularly surprising um i think if there was anything to take away from it it's more about on the Nuggets side and just how confident they are in their group how casual they are um you know they were up 21 at one point in this game Mm. they ran out a five-man bench unit for extended stretches and that unit wasn't particularly successful but there was a clear belief that hey they wouldn't get run up that much and, and if they did guys could come back in and settle it um down the stretch the raptors cut that 21 point lead down to five and you look credit to the Raptors, but at no point did Denver seem stressed about that at all. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were very, very casual. The Raptors were trying to trap, sending two to the ball everywhere across half court in the closing minutes, and Denver passed out of it really, really comfortably. Uh, again, good job by the Raptors to, to come back against a good team, but it stood out to me, especially in contrast to when Denver visited here last year and lost their fourth game in a row before Michael Malone kind of kind of called them out after that one. Um, this is a Denver team that even if the record is similar to where it was last year, I think they were 18 and 11 at this point last year. They're 19 and 10 now. This is a team that very much knows who they are, knows they can turn it on when they need to, and is very, very comfortable um, in their play. It, it's just, that was my biggest takeaway. They they just seem so comfortable on the road against the double-digit comeback. They, they never seem pressed at all. Yeah, unbothered, moisturized, just having a good time. Uh, as the reigning champions, uh, Alex, what was your takeaway from being at the game last night? Yeah, I think pretty much in line with Blake. Like, I was just watching the game yesterday and thinking about, like, when's the last time or when's the first time this season a Raptors opponent have felt, have, like, felt the Raptors when they play against them. Just in terms of, like, it's just very unstressful games mm-hmm. when you go up against this team. And I don't know what it says about the lack of identity with this team. Like, when you play the Raptors, what are you really stressed about? Well, you guys have made this point when we were preparing for the show, um, but I'll just borrow it here. Um, You know, previous years, the Raptors' reputation for opposing teams was what? It it was, oh, Nick Nurse is going to come, double-team my star player, force me to play in a way that I don't typically play, shut down um, my team with just a a blanket of 6'9 forwards, and, you know, generally make it really difficult and you have to, like, solve your way through the game, you probably will still get through the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors were only, like, a 500 team, but I, you still saw, like, literally opposing star players. Kevin Durant talked about it. Joel Embiid talked about it. Jason Tatum talked about it. Like, guys would come to Toronto, they knew that it was going to be, at least for the stars, a difficult night. And I think watching this season, obviously, like, they, they changed their approach. That was the whole point. It wasn't like the previous approach was working. But... It does kind of suck to me that, like, yeah, we we don't have anything special for Jokic. When we see Embiid, who, by the way, just had 51 yesterday against the league's best defense, against the defensive player of the year candidate or favorite, really. Rudy and Gobert, a team with three centers. A team with three centers. Uh, 
we're going to see Joel Embiid again for the third time. And the two times the Sixers played us, the Raptors didn't really make Embiid do anything differently. They didn't make Maxi do anything differently. So I, I don't know. I mean, going back to the last couple of years, it was like, okay, we looked forward to the games against the Nuggets because there was some creativity that's going to come out of it. OG's going to have games where he's, he had a game where he had seven steals against you know Denver and whatever. I think the Raptors have played Denver largely even. They, they won some, they lost some. But it, yesterday's game, as you mentioned, it just felt like they were two very different classes. And of course, like nobody expects the Raptors to beat the, the Nuggets. They got they got the championship. They got Nikola Jokic. They're healthy. But at the same time, the Nuggets are like 500 for the last month or so. And yeah, I mean, it didn't look like it that at all yesterday. I didn't even feel like that we made the Raptors, uh, the, the Nuggets even get to like second or third gear. It was just really easy stuff from uh, from them. I mean, in terms of the positives, Blake, uh, Scotty Barnes was awesome, 30 points. Um, I think he already has three 30-point games this season. He had two previously in his first two seasons. He is definitely the, the the bright spot. What did you see from Scotty Barnes? Yeah, I mean, he first of all, he was one of the only players to show up until later in the game, which, um, you know, it, some people have criticized Scotty for like, hey, the really mm-hmm. good fourth quarters are great, but you got to start earlier. And the Raptors as a team have started really poorly. I thought in the first half, Scotty Barnes was like the only thing keeping the game reasonably close. And it wasn't yep. even that close. It was just, you know, only he was kind of, you know, Pascal had some moments and the bench was okay, but much better in the second half than the first half. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, you know, he tried very hard to set the tone and to be in attack mode. And this is a Denver team that's really solid defensively, but does have some size mismatches around uh, around the court. So kind of looked for those, really pushed in transition as he always does. We talked about before the game that the one thing Denver doesn't do very well is get back in transition, mostly because they make every shot. So you don't get trained coming back in transition. Um, you know, Scotty seemed to to get the assignment there as well. And then he had a couple of, he only got credit with one block, but I feel like he had more than that, um, you know, as a help side defender again, as you know, he, he saw a little bit of time on Jokic, but for the most part, it, it was Jakob and OG uh, in that Jokic assignment. So he was able to roam a little bit. Um, I don't know. He continues to be, you know, the brightest spot in a, in a season that hasn't been particularly bright so far. Yeah, it was, it was great to see, um, you know, Scotty put up 30. It was great to see just the overall energy, as you mentioned, um, and put, put up 30, by the way, without his three dropping and with very few free throw attempts. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I, this is a kind of a pattern. I mean, Scotty's had some huge games against Denver. I remember in his rookie season, the Raptors went on the West Coast and they had kind of a make or break kind of run there to try to make the playoffs back to when the Raptors would make the playoffs. And, you know, they had this great win on the road. And that was one of the first games where you saw Scotty Barnes take over against, I mean, at that time, the Nuggets were a little more banged up. They didn't have all these guys available, but still a really good team in Denver, which is never easy team to play. And Scotty had a huge game in that one. And it was a, it was a big part of what made, you know, his rookie season so special. I think that was one of his top three games of that year, uh, along with what he did to the Lakers and the Celtics. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, you would have needed something really special to, to come out and you needed something where somebody goes off for, and a, just a ridiculous run of points, which we didn't get to see that outside of Scotty yesterday. I also think that defensively or something creatively, tactically, you would have needed something really out of the top drawer to like really impact or slow down what the Nuggets do. And Alex, I, I guess my question to you is, did you see something special from Darko Ryakovich yesterday that made you say, you know what, this is, this is really promising. This is really exciting. No, I was just thinking too in that conversation that you guys were just having about Scotty being this like lone bright spot this season. What's the second bright spot about this team outside of Scotty? I mean, probably Pascal. 
like not that he's doing anything new, but like on a per minute basis, he's back to, you know, the last couple games aside, you know, kind of the all NBA level. Mm-hmm. He's not all NBA level, but on a per minute basis, the numbers are there. The efficiency has climbed back up despite the three point shooting mm-hmm. uh, defense a little up and down, but there really aren't that many bright spots individually. Yeah. Like well, I'm not willing to put like, Hey, Malachi has maybe saved his career and will get another shot as like a backup or third point guard. I, I don't know that that registers high enough. Um, Anything. Sometimes I, because, I, you know, when I'm on doing the react pods, it's like a stream of consciousness. I'm like usually like mm. obviously feeling the heat of the game and trying to cool off from that and try to think a little bit more rationally about it. And sometimes what are I, you in a sauna? Man? Yeah, a little bit sauna? actually. That's actually what the 600 booth feels like to me when they're losing. But um, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, people pay obviously a lot of money to go to the games. It's yeah. like a pretty expensive product. Sorry, everybody. Uh, but then when you get there, it's like, well, I thought yesterday I was like, I mean, you pay the money to see Nikola Jokic. You oh, pay Jokic the money to had give... some specific plays that was worth the price of admission. Oh, man. That behind-the-bounce uh, pass against two defenders in, in the first quarter. Oh, the one where Aaron ridiculous. Gordon's in the paint? Yep. And Yeah, so there's that one. There's the other one he threw to Aaron Gordon, too. Alley-oop off glass. He tried to go alley-oop off glass. Aaron Gordon didn't, like, they didn't eye connect, mm-hmm. and Jokic mm-hmm. saw it, and Gordon didn't, and it just happened to bounce right to Gordon. He kicked it out for a three. Yep. Um, so even when Jokic makes a mistake or, or his teammates aren't connected with him, it still leads to three points. Or yep. the three-point dagger at the end. Yep. Right at the, buzzer. the buzzer. Yeah, no. Come so you, you get your money's worth when you see the opponent. But from mm-hmm. the Raptors side, it's like you, you come to pay money to see Scotty and like the rest of it is just kind of like maybe maybe you'll see something. Maybe. Mm, yeah. Um maybe. On the Darko point, yeah. you know, a couple of things that stood out last night. Um, I guess the main one that stood out was um there was a there was a point when Dennis wanted a jump ball um call. Well they called he wanted a, jump, a foul call. He wanted a foul call. Yeah. Yeah. So then Darko raced, I believe, to midcourt mm-hmm. to get the ref's attention yeah. to challenge the play. He was literally hopping mad. Like mm-hmm. He was like jumping up and down. Yeah. yeah. Only to be told that you can't challenge a jump ball. And also, you you have called a timeout, so therefore, we have taken you have your last used timeout. You have used the timeout. Yeah. <laughs> um, Blake, did you know that rule? Did you know the rule that you can't challenge things that aren't fouls um, or out of bounds? Well, I know that the rule is that you can't challenge a non-call. Yes. I didn't, I had never looked specifically if, hey, that's not a foul, that's a jump ball, mm-hmm. is considered a call or a non-call. Yeah. Makes sense now that we know it, but no, like the, it's it's worded a little vaguely. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Because um, I, I, this has been pointed out to me because um, obviously I've been kind of disappointed in the dark or I've kind of expressed it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been pointed out to me that Nick had a similar incident last year. It was against the Celtics towards the end of the game where a foul call probably should have been called, but instead they called it a jump ball and he tried to review it and it wasn't reviewable. Um, but in any case, I do feel like coaches should know that rule. Like it's a fairly prominent thing to like, you should know the rule book so that you don't end up accidentally calling your last time out. So yeah. like, I think two people can make the same mistake. I still think it's a mistake. Like it, you really need to know the rules. But the funny thing to me was, um, not that it wasn't reviewable, but the play that took place before that was you had Dennis set a back screen for Scotty. The Nuggets were switching, so they got Jamal Murray onto Scotty. And in, when Dennis got the ball back from Precious at the top of the floor, I thought Dennis was going to go to Scotty with the mismatch in the post against um, Jamal. And it wasn't even like, okay, he looked for it, but it wasn't there. He tried to find an angle, wasn't there, and then he had to reset. Because that, that, whatever, I understand that. He just didn't look for it at all saw that he had a switch against... He wasn't even a switch. He just had KCP on him mm-hmm. and tried to drive KCP to the hoop. And KCP did foul him. Like, he did grab his arm. There's no doubt. They showed it in the Jumbletron in the building. That's why Darko decided to try to challenge it. Um, and that's why he was so upset. But, like, ultimately, that was a bad read to to begin with. Mm-hmm. So... And, and I did think yeah. it was it was 
pretty indicative of the offensive process for a lot of the night where, again, Scotty had a good night. But this is a Nuggets team that, not universally, but for the most part, if Jokic isn't in the action, they will switch. They're comfortable with their guys changing positions. They don't want to give up that extra little edge that that fighting over or going under does. They're, they're a switch-heavy team, uh, and certainly against a team like the Raptors. So they were doing that all over the floor. You know, you could get Aaron Gordon off of the guy he was guarding, whether it was Scotty or, or Pascal. And again, this is supposed to be part of the benefit of having two big scoring playmaking forwards is mm-hmm. that there are m- most teams don't have two Aaron Gordons. Most teams don't even have one Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. And then if you're Denver and you're willing to switch off of that, um, you know, that's something the Raptors should have probed a little bit more. They did the first couple possessions of the game. They went at Jamal Murray on switches and then it worked and they mm-hmm. kind of went away from it after that. They, they weren't really attacking that. You know, Gary's a guy who sometimes has trouble with the post entry or, or making that read. But there were a lot of times where Precious actually did a really good job last night of when he slipped the screen, making sure the ball handler's man had to come with him, like putting mm-hmm. an elbow yeah. into him yeah. and kind of dragging him with you to force the switch. Um, and, and again, the, the first that like that quick pass before Denver can recover wasn't there. And what that happened, I mean, first of all, you don't get the mismatch to attack. And even if you do go to it, once enough time has gone by, the Denver defense can look and be like, oh, okay, it's a post up with a mismatch. What are our principles? Who's the, you know, Aaron Gordon helping off the top a lot, actually created a couple turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they were comfortable with KCP switching into the post because he does well at like the poking under your arms to poke a ball free. Yeah. Um, but they get to think about that more and be more prepared for it the longer a possession goes on with that mismatch. Um, yeah, it's and it's also like that part is, Additionally frustrating to not find that quickly because on defense, the Raptors were trying to do some of that as well. There was an instance where Dennis got switched onto Jokic and before the ball could get into Jokic, Scotty came off the corner mm-hmm. and tagged Dennis out. It's mm-hmm. called the scram switch. Yep. And Dennis goes and takes the corner man. So Scotty's on Jokic. It's less of a mismatch. If you know that's one of your defensive fundamentals and one of your defensive principles when there's a post mismatch, you got to be aware that another defense can do that to you if you give them too much time. So you've got to be, I mean, not only just going to the mismatch, but going to it like with intention and early. Yeah, that's the thing. The key word there is intention. I don't feel like there's a great amount of intention in the Raptors offense in terms of their process. But Alex, what what else did you see from uh, the coach? Um, I actually wanted to share some like post-game comments from from Darko and get your thoughts on some stuff. What'd you hear? So three things for you guys. Uh, Number one, uh, Jokic after the game. Uh, shared that he celebrated St. Nicholas Day with Darko and his family um, at Darko's house uh, in Toronto the evening before. So That's that was nice. nice. That's nice. Somebody um, got a free dinner from Darko. And Jakob, Jakob Pertl has been struggling, struggled again last night. Okay. And Darko was asked about Jakob's struggles. Darko said, quote, I think Jakob is a very, very good basketball player. The last couple of games, he didn't play to his level. And I really, really believe he's going to turn it around. I'm going to talk to him. And do everything in my power to help him turn the corner and be the Jakob we know. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm happy you said that. Like that's that's what you need your coach to do for you in, mm. in in these kind of tight moments. But at the same time, I think, I mean, he's also benched them for two straight fourth quarters. Yeah, and the so, last yeah, it's the nice. last one to get probably more thoughts from you guys on is like Darko's been pressed repeatedly since he brought up potential starting lineup changes. Mm. He was asked again after the loss last night. And he said, quote, we're talking about it. It's something that is there. You know, he went on to share that he's talked to his coaching staff about it. And then he said that they got to consider the ripple effect of changing the starting lineup because it could impact the entire rotation and potentially shrink the rotation, which he doesn't want to do. Okay. What are your guys' thoughts on that part of the comment? Well, Blake, I was a little confused. 
Why would it shrink the rotation specifically? I mean, I, my guess is that the move that he is considering would no longer have those one player plus four bench player lineups. And he has had trouble getting that ninth guy in if they're doing two starters plus three bench guys. Okay. Like last night, we again saw Scotty in bench. We saw OG in bench, which we can come back to. Uh, it ended up working, but it, it's poor process to go to that when they, a game's still in the mix. Um, so maybe that that's what it is. You know, if the thought is, hey, uh, Yak is going to come off the bench, then there's no way to get both Precious and Chris into the game because then Chris is kind of playing small forward and you're just, you don't have the handling and spacing and stuff like that. Maybe that's what he means. Um, I think as with anything, you can do some rotation creativity to, to make sure you're getting nine, even 10 guys in there for, for little bits. Um, the other thing that kind of hangs over this is like, well, what is the obvious move? And we've talked about it. It could be Gary for Dennis. Mm -hmm. It could be Precious for Jakob. It could be Gary for Jakob. And yeah, you just go a little a lot, small. Yeah. Like they started that way for an entire season two years ago. Um, so there are things to try there. The starting lineup has played 332 minutes together. That is the second most of any lineup in basketball this year. Mm. That is more than all but one lineup played together for the Raptors last season mm. already. Okay. They have a minus three net rating. So they get outscored by three points per 100. Now that doesn't maybe seem that bad because they're an under 500 team, but usually you only get to play this many minutes together if you're a good lineup. Yeah. Of the top 15 most used lineups in the league, this is the only one even close to being a negative. The rest of them are all clear positives. That's why the teams stick with them. So um, I, I think at a certain point, and, and this is especially like they've had almost no injuries to the starting oh, line. Yeah, yeah. OG missed a handful of games. So like they've gotten the reps. They should have the chemistry. Yeah. Again, it's the second most used lineup in all of basketball. Um, I think they're running thin on, hey, we need to see more. We're going to try this or, or whatever. So, um, you know, the question then becomes, well, do you address the, the Jakob side where he's not playing very well, but it may be, makes your bench changes more difficult. Do you do the Gary for Dennis thing? And then it's more of a burden on Scotty as a ball handler. But I personally would like to see Scotty doing a little bit more of that anyway. Um, so it's a, it's a tough decision, but I mean, you're the, the only heavily used lineup in basketball losing their minutes is, uh, is pretty tough here. Almost 30 games into the season. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I understand like you're trying to establish something and I, you know, we, we've talked about it, like literally from day one at training camp, the starters have been the five players. And so they want to make this thing work. They want to get off the ground. At a certain point, you get you get to this point in the season where you lose a few more games. And by the way, don't look at the Raptors' January schedule. Oh, did you check it? A lot of things on the road. I think uh, three wins. A lot in of January. things at West. A lot of things at West. Three um, wins. Three wins in January. It, it's looking really, really tough. So you get on this slide, and you don't really start to pick hard. it up now. You'll change up your. It's very hard. All right, it's it's gonna really set you back a long way. You have to start experimenting and looking at this now. Um, you know that this is not working. This is eight straight games now um, where the Raptors have been down 10 plus. Yeah, why are we so obsessed with um, not shrinking the rotation at this point in the season? Why are we so obsessed with playing a nine guys, well, 10 guys? This is where I do, I do sympathize with Darko in the sense that there's like six players on the roster that pretty much just don't have a claim to play minutes right. on, in, in any rotation, right? So there's the three vets, which I think some people will want to see Otto play a little bit. But, like, honestly, maybe Otto is not playing because he's not available to play or that he's not up to the physical, like, standards you might want for Darko to, for, to play him. Although Darko did say two weeks ago that Otto will be in the rotation moving forward, and he hasn't. So whatever. I can't, like, you can't necessarily take everything at face value. But regardless, the three vets are the three vets, right? I mean, I don't think people really want to see Thad, Otto... Garrett in, in the game consistently. 
um, just because their roles on the team are to be bets. So let's just say those are three kind of empty spots because you don't see them until it's like essentially third quarter or game's over kind of type. Um, then you have Grady Dick, who yesterday I was there early to to watch, you know, all the warm-ups. And, you know, typically players come out to play, warm up like a Gary or Pascal or whatever. They're shooting jumpers. They maybe get a couple of layups in. Maybe practice some go-to moves, and then you know they shoot some free throws at the end, and they go sit with the assistant coach, watch some film, and then they get ready for the game. Like that's the standard warm-up for players, right? Uh, for a guy like Jokic, by the way, Jokic in the warm-up yesterday was practicing left-handed three-pointers out of the corner and, and he, drilling them. He <laughs> was also practicing like to see what the most arc he could get on an elbow floater was. He yeah. had one that almost went and landed behind him because he was just like going up and trying to yeah. fling it as high arc as possible. This is, yeah. I mean, I've seen I've seen clips of Jokic like doing the left-handed threes and stuff. So it's not specific to the Raptors, but it's also, this is the stress-free environment oh, yeah. no, you totally walk into when you come to Scotiabank Arena. Right. right, so this is the typical, like, uh, let's just say warm-up for a veteran. Mm-hmm. For Grady, obviously being a rookie, they were getting him through, first off, he was one of the first guys to to get shots up. OG actually took two sessions to get shots up. He was the first guy to get shots up and then came back out to get his regular run of shots. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's just trying to find his form, credit to him. Um but with Grady, the assistant coaches were working with him on practicing closeout drills. So they had him for like five, six minutes uh, closing out against an assistant coach and doing the Raptors version of, you know, what they would want a preferred closeout to a three-point shooter to be, which is if you just run towards the side of the defense, of the guy with the ball shooting, and then side swipe, like over the top of his, like, area. Like, they don't actually want to block. They don't want a hard contest. They want a hand in the face. They want a side swipe, like a windshield wiper. Um, so they're working with Grady for, like, a solid five minutes on this. Then they worked with him on, you know, getting to the basket with his left hand, finishing around the basket with his left hand. Again, really simple kind of stuff, really heavily drilled. And then they went with him through some shooting drills and things like that um, that are more standard. But my point is that they're really trying to build up his fundamentals. I've also seen them work on his handles pregame. I've seen them work on his passing Pre-game. So they're building up his fundamentals. And, of course, part of that is he's not really been productive on the court. Even 905 or, or Raptors, you know, he's had some moments, but generally speaking, it's been low. So you're not playing Grady. So that's four roster spots that you can't really go to. McDaniels, honestly, hasn't really made an impact too much. You know, hasn't really been part of the group. Sometimes you even forget, honestly, there's no offense to him, but you forget a little bit that he's on the team because he's not shown that much. He's not prominent that much. Five guys you can't play. And then Christian, unfortunately has just not been able to suit up this season um, due to an unknown reason. So that's six roster spots that you pretty much can, like, don't use at any given point. There's only 15 on the team. That's great. Yeah. Great so, roster management. So, like, I, I do feel for Darko because it's like, man, if I, if I cut the rotation a little bit, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't even have options. It's not like, okay, I'm going to switch it out. I'm going to do this and this. Like, maybe you would say I'll bring Otto back in. Mm-hmm. But that really depends on Otto's availability. Yeah, and again, man, like six roster spots are dead. If we're talking about auto here, like it's it's getting pretty dire. And like you look at the standings too, and like I know we talked about this, you know, Blake too. Like Raptors haven't had that difficult of a schedule in the run up, you know, up to this game against Denver, and they're you know eleven and sixteen. They've now fallen behind the Bulls. You look at it all. The Bulls are great though right now. They're they're seven and three in their last ten without like they've been without Zach Levine for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Raptors now officially to me the worst team in the league that's trying to win. I mean, standings-wise, I don't think that's you actually... Can like, Memphis, you can throw really Memphis in, but Memphis has there. the Ja Morant asterisk. That's, that's a huge asterisk. Plus, you, Plus would swap, you would take Memphis's roster in a second, I feel like. 
He could debate Scotty, but... You know. No, 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 I would, I would, but yeah. I also would find him mad annoying to cover that thing. And, but regardless, that's the second And issue. you talk yeah. about January and all this stuff, and, like, we're going to be coming up on, like, the halfway point of the season. You know, mm-hmm. they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Like, you know, there's just... Yeah, I don't know. I guess we're just having the same conversation again. We are. I mean, the number of different times I've looked up the lineup data, and I just tweeted a table out, actually, while we came on air and we're talking about it, just, like, the Siakam Barnes do. And I've narrowed it down to just those two because, I mean, OG fits in a lot of lineups but he hasn't played particularly well the last couple. So let's just focus on Siakam and Barnes. Sure. And like when they have just one of Pirtle or Schroeder out there with them, they're really good. When they have both, they suffer. So that to me is pretty straight. Like we've got yeah. a bunch of samples we can do, like six different on-off combinations around those guys. And um, so I don't know, man. It's uh, It's getting pretty frustrating, I guess. Not even frustrating. It's just kind of like it, it doesn't seem like there's a change coming if one hasn't come 27 games into the season. And like you guys were well, just talking about, he wants to see one or two more games of this. Sure. That was three games ago, by the way. And like to be clear. the hard part about this is like, Alex, you kind of scoff at Otto Porter and it's like, mm-hmm. it's Otto Porter. Like the reason I would want him getting playing time right now is I don't believe in showcasing like the NBA teams have too much tape and book on guys. Yeah. But in his case, showing he is healthy and can play multiple games in a week and stuff yeah. might be relevant ahead of the trade deadline. Um, he's also like, Barely older than Chris Boucher. Yeah. So, like, the other part of this is, like, you're stuck with, you're, you're committed to nine guys, and you talk about the wasted roster spots, or, or not wasted, but roster spots that aren't necessarily you you rotation relevant. Yeah, you can't use And the only one of those guys that's young, really, is Coloco. Yeah. And so even if he were available, you would still be looking at this where it's like, okay, like, there are five spots. Five of the 15 spots aren't, I mean, McDaniel's, I don't think anyone could have reasonably expected him to be this shaky. Like he's been better than this for four seasons, but yeah. even then, like the fit of those pieces doesn't make a ton of sense. So I don't know. It's a. Uh, I would really like to see something change. I just my. I'm not. I'm more frustrated with the lack of trying different things to mm. see, especially yeah. around that Scotty Pascal duo, than thinking, hey, this is going to fix the team and suddenly they'll be way better. I think they would be a little bit better. I think it's also just it's high time to start. Start looking, taking a look at some other stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, for me. It's like, realistically, as we've talked to Bobby Marks a few times now, like, front offices move based on a deadline. So you're not going to see that much transaction, even though I know Raptor fans, myself included, are like, I'm, I'm jonesing to see something different. But, like, you know, it obviously takes two teams to, to, to consummate a trade. Um, I think for the team as is right now, you might as well see what internal options you have. And, like, none of it sounds like that appealing or, like, that game-changing. But I would love to see Gary come into the starting five for either Jakob or Dennis at this point. If you want to start Precious, which honestly the way he started the season wasn't great, but credit to Precious, or at least in fairness to Precious, he was also injured for a lot of training camp. So if he's slow to a new system after being injured, you know, we got to maybe cut him some slack. So, okay, then we can go with Precious in the starting five. Look, none of these are like silver bullet solutions, but at least let's see something different. Let's evaluate and see what possibilities we have in these like nine playable players that we do currently have to see if we can get a different result. Because if we can't, then I don't know. Then at least we need to know definitively that we that we don't have a solution in-house before we make these moves. But I don't know. Yeah. It's it's not that appealing. Raptors lose again. Um <laughs> <laughs> You wanna shout out Herman? Do some shout out. Hey, shout out, out to Herman. It um, might be I Herman. Think. Herman, I believe you what, gave um Will um set up these Pokemon uh die dice. Two um, dice. Two yeah. Dice, two it's dice. Japanese. 
Yeah, while yeah. at the Chatham Markham event. I believe it was Herman. If it wasn't Herman, please identify yourself, yeah. uh, Asian from Markham. Shouts to Jill, longtime listener. Um, yesterday I was able to meet her at the arena. She gave me the Allen Iverson 40 bars record. That was the one you were trying to get from Lindsay, right? Because I remember watching that one at home. Wrapped in your blanket. Well, <laughs> I was wrapped in my blanket at 3 p.m. as you guys talked to Lindsay Dunn here. Having some studio. eggnog? I was not having eggnog. Oh, sorry, sorry. I like you. But no. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is what she said. Yeah. So thank you, Joe. I'm now I'm now looking for a record player. So people that know record players, including oh, you don't even have a record player. <laughs> Hell no. Oh man. And shout out to longtime listener Brenda. All dropped right. off a, a a Lego bracelet that her uh, daughter Noel made for me. I appreciate it. My That's arms awesome. are too big; it doesn't fit me. So we'll resize it in the new year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the Raptors lose. Otherwise, Raptors lose. I don't know what else you guys want us to say. Um... I mean, we could take a break and get to Lewis, see what Lewis has to say about it. Let's hear someone else talk about the Raptors and why they're losing. So we're going to take a break. I'm your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we're once again joined by another member of Raptors Republic, uh, Lewis Atzman. What's going on, Lewis? You all right? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Good to see you. We, we need your, we need your uh, you know, fatherly tones, to be honest. We need this calm. We need this calm energy. I think, uh, you know, the three of us, I think we're just a little bit tired of being like, Raptors lost today. Here's the reasons why they lost. Here's th- things that they can try, but they're not trying. Uh, and also the roster construction is a little bit bad. Um, it just feels like a little bit like uh, we're, we're going over the same kind of topics. But I, I do want to go through some potential positives that came out of yesterday's game. And I thought Precious, um, you know, was a positive yesterday. I believe I gave him my second star in the recap. Um, you know, didn't take too much to outplay Yaka Pertle, but I also thought that, some of that's credit to Precious as well. What did you see from Precious? Because I know you're also a Precious believer. Yeah, I, I've been I've been high on Precious for a while. Certainly higher than um, probably I should should be. But I think he's been really impressive when he finally gets minutes. Uh, I think Darko turning to him a lot uh, sort of reveals the long term plans in that. This team's trying to figure out what they have built for the future, and he is much more a future piece than a present piece. But also the the present issues, uh, you know, Jakob Pertl, twenty million dollar center that seemed to fix the team last year is sort of um, unplayable for long stretches this year. So uh, I know you said you want calm uh, positivity. Uh, and I can't even take you away from that for just a minute. But, no, I was really happy with Precious. I think he's been coming on for the last week or two. Uh, I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer. Do you think he's ever going to be like a, you know, a, a starter-level player on a, on a good team? On a good team? I don't know. He'd have to show a lot more consistency than he has. Obviously, that's been the the kind of frustrating part for him. I think three-point shooting needs to come up again. Yeah. yeah. And now, look, I, I also think he looks, he has looked and will continue to look better in lineups that have more space for him to operate in. He's not a small spaces 
guy as far as big men go. He does better, you know, attacking the seam on a on a like late closeout and driving into the paint that way, or you know, cutting into the paint when the floor's spaced out than he does. Like, hey, you're in the dunker and and you've got to have the hands to pick up this tight pocket pass and, and that kind of thing. So you know, I certainly don't think on a team that has a traditional center, he's going to be able to start very effectively. Um, you know, if you went to that look, say, hey, Jakob's going to take a couple games down. Yeah. You could go to that look. Um, you know, then then you introduce some, well, serious defensive rebounding questions because that was a weakness before Jakob Pertl last year, and it's been a weakness when he sits this year. Um, but you might make up for that in terms of, you know, the switchability, the extra punch on offense. Um, you know, you, you take a hit in screen setting as well, but maybe you can reorient your offense that way. Um, how do you feel about it, Will? I think I'm still a little bit confused in terms of um, what the team specifically wants him to play, like positionally or even positional, like the role that they want him to play. Do they want to be a small ball five? They've tried to, you know, having him make more decisions on offense, um, you know, and I do think that that has revealed that he needs more work there. But if he needs more work there, then maybe you would see if he can work through that and show some improvement. They've also moved away from some of that stuff with the second unit. Just given those to Scotty, I think that definitely looks a lot better because Scotty is a lot better. But, um, you know, I think my confusion is just, is he going to be a center long-term or is he going to be a wing long-term? Um, and, you know, which one does Precious want to be? Because So I asked Darko yeah. that very question. Sorry to cut no, you off. No, that's great. What do you think? He said center. He said okay. center. All right. All right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think that's the right answer, but, you know, you got to sell Precious Maybe. on this. Yeah, um, you do have to sell. And also, he's just got to get better, right? Like, he's a fourth-year player. Those players still have lots of room to grow. Yeah, but, you know, I think the last couple games should be informative for him where he just saw Onyeko Okongwu for a couple games. And Okongwu was the guy who, in terms of rookie-scale extensions this spring, got or this fall, rather, got the number that I think Precious was probably targeting. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I didn't talk to anyone about this. I would imagine the response was, well, yeah, we're not giving you a Kongwu money. You haven't shown you're as good or nearly as consistent as a Kongwu. And then he saw Zeke Naji yesterday who got kind of the lower end, which I think if the Raptors offered it, Precious would have been like, "Now nah, I'll bet on myself for more than that. And Naji's in and out of the rotation, but on a championship caliber team. So I think he has gotten a look at a couple of his peers in the last little bit. And I, I guess, you know, you don't want that to be the only reason a guy's playing better, but it, it does help that he's played better in those stretches. Mm. Yeah. All right. Lewis, how, how do you find the offensive fit with him? Because I, I think defensively, everyone can understand the concerns with going switchier. Yes, but smaller and, you know, precious is not a terrific defensive rebounder. Um, but offensively, do you think you could get enough juice from that extra spacing and that extra athleticism? I think offensively is really where his, when I asked initially, can he be a starter level player on a good team? I think absolutely, you know, if all things break right, even better than that. And it's because of the offensive end, not the defensive one. Hmm. I mean, he's so phenomenal at sort of shooting those those open gaps. And uh, when he has a simple choice to make, can drive into space, it's pretty much automatic. You know, he can, he can jump thin or, or thick, like go through a body or sort of around it. Um, really strong finisher with balance. Uh, it's just on the move. I mean, it's it's really impressive how good he is at attacking closeouts. Uh, he needs to draw closeouts, mm-hmm. and he needs to play along guys who do the same. And so I was actually sort of dumbfounded. That it took until, you know, last week or the week before for him to see minutes with Otto Porter and Gary Trent. And then Porter got injured, and he 
probably won't play for another month and then he'll play and they'll say wow this guy's good but you know it's just he, precious can't find his way alongside a rotation that makes sense for him and i get it that you don't want to prioritize precious to chew up there's you know more important things on the team but it just it points to the fact that the context sort of has to hurt a lot of guys on the team right you could you can choose someone or someone else to prioritize mm-hmm. maybe even three but you can't help everyone which is that's not a healthy team environment and i think precious's offensive punch which should be impressive is one of the main um uh downstream impacts of that okay well, I guess put it a lot other way because I, I do want to talk about some other things uh, in addition to Precious, but I'm enjoying this special conversation. Um, big question is, does he fit? Is he complimentary to Scotty long-term? Because we do know that Scotty will be here long-term. That's the only thing that we really know. I say yes. Okay, great. Why? <laughs> Are you being Why? hopeful? Uh, Are you being hopeful? No, I think okay. just if you were to design a center in a lab, to play next to Scotty Barnes, you know, what what would you ask for, right? You'd want shooting. Mm-hmm. Well, Precious theoretically is a shooter. He's been coming on of late. He's up to 32%, I think, on the year. Ooh, I don't You'd know if that qualifies as theoretically a shooter yet. Well, he had a really good stretch in t- two years ago. Yeah, he's at, um, he's at he 31.9% for his career, yeah. Yeah, he shoots threes. We don't know if he makes them yet, yeah. but theoretically he is a shooter. Um, you know, he's a driver. He's a really good cutter. He's really good at exploding into space, and Barnes is best optimized alongside cutters. Um, and he finishes well on the move. And so, you know, Scotty Barnes is great superpowers. He gets guys the ball on the move. So I think everything adds up really well if you can surround them with the guys they need. And if Preston Chichua is good at all the things he could be good at, mm. those are a lot of ifs. There's a lot of ifs. I also want to add in that, I would love to see him be a more detail-oriented player. Um, for example, oh, well, I find I find it, his screening to be something that's like fairly disappointing. Um, he can create a lot has more he space. Has ever made for, contact? Uh, that's kind of the issue, right? <laughs> like, there's a lot of slipping, but there's also like having to readjust a lot and not like you know rescreen or even reangle yourself because like you're trying to manipulate a defense. He's like, oh, actually, I I came from the wrong angle. Just hold on one second. Let me let me, let me flip it to the other side. And then, oh, well, I'm not actually going to make contact. I'm just, it, it's just it's just too much. I would love to see those little details um, cleaned up. I, I, I don't even mind so much, like, the occasional moments where he's, like, too aggressive on offense, where he's trying to bring the ball up and he loses or whatever. Like, honestly, you got to live with some of those mistakes, but I need you to, like, hammer the the small things. Um, and so, whatever. I mean, he is – he is. Too, I, I, have, I have said that he is the second-best prospect on the team. I still think he's a better prospect than Grady. I know, like, a lot of people are really high on Grady to start the season, but – just even based on the athletic profile alone, like I'm going to continue to bet on Precious. But, you know, yeah. And I think the Raptors will as well. Um, let's pivot. Uh, yeah, let's it's it. been a negative start to the show. Um, Lewis, I gave you a heads up. We were going to talk about this. So the other day I wrote a piece at sportsnet.ca about, you know, who trying to find, it got framed as a trade piece, but it was more about like trying to identify someone who everyone likes, but isn't a star yet, who has that ability to break out. And the idea being, you know, it's, some teams who who might be sellers at the deadline are not going to have an appetite to step back for multiple years and try to draft those guys. So there are sometimes small windows to trade for a player like that before the breakout. Now, every team who sees their guy in an article like that is going to be like, no, you can't have him even for Pascal, OG, and five firsts. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but we, we did that as an exercise. And I actually found it in going through it, Lewis, 
um, helpful. Not only just it's fun to think about which young guys could pop, but also when you put yourself in that exercise from a Raptors perspective, you know, you you kind of without even thinking are like, okay, well, what fits best with Scotty? Like your mind instantly goes there. So we asked you about, you know, hey, how does Precious fit with Scotty long term? We've talked a lot this year about the Scotty Pascal fit. Um, I know you read the piece and I gave you the heads up. We, we'd talk about this, Lewis. In going through that exercise, what kind of crystallized for you as like, hey, this is the type of guy or this is the skill set that, um, you know, would best fit next to Barnes over the next couple of years? Okay, so uh, after you sent me that message, I walked my dog for a really long time and thought about uncharted stars or, you know. So the piece you wrote was about how to identify the next star, not from your rookie scouts, but from your NBA scouts, like yeah. someone already in the league. Uh, and Shea Gilgis Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton were like two of the major, uh, major hits in the last few years. And so I thought about it sort of philosophically, what makes a star, if everybody already knows who he is in the NBA, how can you maybe find someone who's not already a star? Because that's hard. And what I hit on was sort of a unique ability just something that you're good at that no one else can do to that extent and so you know what made Shea Gilgis Alexander a star unique movement ability you know he can bend his legs at insane angles that no one else can bend at his handle his acceleration like he just gets anywhere on the court where no one else can get to um so so something like that and I thought about who is unique uh, in the NBA and not a star yet. And there's some obvious ones, guys who you mentioned in your piece and some who are, um, you know, big swings. Uh, so Trey Murphy, I think, is the most obvious one. You had him in the piece, might already be a little too valuable. Yeah, Pelicans uh, fans didn't, didn't love even the the theoretical there. I think it's pretty likely he's going to be a star, though. Um, that's that's quite uh, quite likely. Uh, just his shooting is so preposterously valuable and unique. Um, but there's other guys. So um, you mentioned Emmanuel Quickly, I think, and Jaden Ivey. Um, both of them are unique. Jaden Ivey is a unique mover with his acceleration. Uh, he attempts uh, almost the highest rate of his shots at the rim among guards, which is tough to do. If you've ever seen the Pistons play, they have less spacing than the Raptors. <laughs> I think Ivy really, even though he's not good now, really could be extraordinarily good in the future. And quickly is already very good. His deceleration, especially as a shooter, is really amazing. Sort of something that James Harden built stardom off of. Uh, and then there's sort of bigger swings. Uh, Andre Jackson Jr., I think, Your is boy. a guy who... Yeah, I love him. So bias. I also work for the Bucks, so another bias. But um, his processing speed is really unique. Uh, he makes quicker decisions um, than I think anyone I've seen in the league. And not just decisions like I'm going to shoot or I'm going to drive. Decisions like he gets the ball, he reads the defense, and he throws a pass all in a split second, and it's an advantage-creating pass on the move to someone who wouldn't you know, might be open from a bird's eye view on the camera, but it's really hard to see that this guy would be open on the court. And I think that processing ability was actually Halliburton's superpower um, on top of the shooting and everything else. So, you know, you need a lot of things to, mm -hmm. to go right, but I, I do think Jackson has that ability. Uh, Markel Fultz, I think, uh, as a unique mover and just he's so strong as a guard. Um, so those are some unique guys. 
Um, I think Osar Thompson, but probably you can't really. Tri- the Pistons would laugh in your yeah, face. Yeah, I kind of de- I disqualified rookies just because like it's pretty, yeah. like yeah, it's tough for the like a, a bunch of them got thrown to me when I put it out on Twitter. There was like fourteen or fifteen rookies, and some of them aren't playing that much. But I was like, you know, we got to separate that to a different exercise, a, a different time. Um, yeah, the yeah. Andre Jackson one. I mean. Obviously, I think he got a lot of fans in the NCAA tournament last year. You know, that level of competitiveness as well. You know, some of the some of the same stuff we heard about Jalen Suggs as a prospect, just the the gamerness, the the floor generalship, whether you have the ball in your hands or not. Um, you know, obviously, that's one that you'd be buying really early on an Andre Jackson Jr. type because he's, I think, a couple steps away uh, from getting there still. Uh, Will, what do you think of those names that Lewis threw at you? No, I just, first off, I really appreciate Lewis's approach to this. Like, it's really fresh and it's innovative. And these are, it's a really creative way to look for the next skill and the next, you know, player that will kind of pop. And, you know, similar to those names, which, I mean, I, I like all those names to various degrees. Um, we'll see how available some of those players are. Probably not so much. But, you know, of course, if you are trying to make this kind of trade, you need to identify what you want. Um you know, I saw you put Jonathan Kaminga on this list too. He was an honorable mention. Yeah, I just like I couldn't write about every guy. So sure. the the one I got asked about the most was like, why no Benedict Mathurin? And it's like, well, yeah. I, I was only going to do five. Like I was I was well, way too high on word count already. We got um, the space to talk about them yeah. here. So we got Kaminga and, and Mathurin. Um, Kaminga for me, I mean, what's to me? I, I look at him. He's a ninety five, like ninety fifth percentile athlete in the mm-hmm. NBA. Like he's special athleticism. The issue I think for me is like I don't feel like he's like as functional in terms of like where he's used, like where is that showing up like he's not really rebounding like in, in incredible ways or you know i think defensively there's there's definitely more upside for him to to tap into but just the fact that he is that athletic alone is, is like enough for me to want to, to to at least buy into him to some degree i also do feel like so he did play a lot of minutes at small ball center for mm-hmm. a team like the warriors that's like incredibly spaced out so i'm like it does kind of really i would find it really difficult to translate for him to come to toronto for example it's just like you, you take him from like a really optimal movement. Everyone's focused on, you know, the best shooter in the world. Um, and then you also have like a, a super freak athlete who can then just dunk the ball on keeper plays and stuff like that. But coming is interesting to me. And then Matherin, he's just, I don't know what's like necessarily special for Matherin right now to me. I think there's some pretty clear holes. Um, he does have a lot of lapses defensively. Hopefully those things can improve. Doesn't seem to like passing the ball. Um, which is something that needs to improve for pretty much any player. But at the same time, I I like his ability to draw fouls. I like how aggressive he is. And to a large degree, I mean, I think he has this, he's starting to build a reputation for like every time there's an opposing like star player mm-hmm. that comes in, he likes to show those guys up, which, I mean, I don't know if that's a special skill necessarily, but I do like the personality traits. Lewis, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Kaminga and Matherin. Yeah, so uh, it is a special skill, and Scotty Barnes is like the premier. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. I go. turn up for stars guy. Um, yeah, Matherin showed up also when I was looking at you know uh, shooting frequency at the rim. Um, Ivy was right there. Matherin mm. was just below him, quickly, mm. um, also high. So yeah, Matt, I, I really like um, that. Uh, again, though, Indiana might be the most um, advantageous environment yeah. in the league for getting to the rim. Um, you have to pay the tax when you put that guy on the Raptors. Can you still get there? It's you have to be <laughs> really good to get to the rim as a Raptor. Yeah. Um, I think Ivy would be that good. I have my doubts for Matherin. Kuminga, everything you just described was precious at Chua, no? Basically, like this yeah, you'd, insanely you'd... positive athlete who where is it impacting uh-huh. the game? Um, and what you described is well, 
you know, it's so spaced out in Golden State. If you were on the Raptors, would it just be keeper plays? Like, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's Precious Achua too. So uh, I also thought of adding his name to the list. And his superpower, just like Kamingo, would be athleticism, just like the most athletic guy, um, fluid and strong. So, uh, yeah, I, I like both those names. It's hard because as much as you like a guy, there's no certainty anyone turns into a star. And someone like maybe Quickly or Ivy or Matherin, let's say, let's take those three sort of guards wings, who turns into a star? Maybe they all have a similar profile, but you have no way of knowing, right? And it's the Raptors are such on a, a knife's edge right now. This is a bailout option. They better get it right, though. Yeah, this is the tough thing about, and kind of the point of the exercise is like, yeah, you can't, you can't afford Shea and Halliburton once they're Shea and Halliburton. You can't, at least with this team, I don't think they're going to be able to afford a multi-year teardown where you get a couple cracks at it. Uh, so you, like, it is, if you are going to have one year where you sell, you got to try to find some guy like that. Lewis, thanks so much for taking the time out, buddy. Appreciate it, guys. Always a blast. Looking forward to the next, you know, philosophical quandary I can think about when I'm walking. The, the more they lose, the more philosophical we're going to get. I promise you that. You've calmed us down. This is great. Love it. Appreciate you. Lewis Atzman of Raptors Republic. Yeah. Uh, we got like 30 seconds. So Blake, yeah. I, I love throwing these grenades at the end of the shot clocks in the scenarios. Would the Raptors make a trade? Do you want them to double down on Scotty's strengths? Or do you want to get players specifically that complement Scotty's strengths? As in like Scotty doesn't have these strengths currently. I mean, I would prioritize overall upside over anything else. I think okay. you just need you're going to need really good players uh, moving forward. Like, Scotty's great, but he's not going to be great alone. Surrounded, like, this isn't Doncic where it's just, like, find four guys who can pace in space. I, I think you need to swing for upside. The how do they fit next to Scotty element would be a tiebreaker between those guys, maybe a tier separator. Okay. Uh, but you just need to get talent in the door. And you need as much volume as possible. Because as we mentioned, there's six guys on the roster that just don't even see playing time. But we are going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. When we come back, we say goodbye to Blake and Alex, and we say hello to the Pounder Rock Boys. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Uh, yeah, as promised, we have brought in the Pounder Rock crew from The Score, my former, honestly, my former manager, my former co-workers, you know, uh, Jessica Charles, Joe Wolfon. How you guys doing? You guys all right? Good, man. I thought I would try to bring the uh, Christmas cheer today since God knows this team isn't doing it. Yeah, so, you know, we're also, obviously, we're on TV, we're on YouTube and stuff, but... Um, but for people who can't see your sweater because they listen to it on a podcast, what you got? What, describe your sweater for me. Or maybe have Wolfon describe your sweater, actually. Uh, what I'm seeing is a gingerbread man with his face missing. Mm -hmm. Seemingly, somebody has taken a bite out of this gingerbread man, and big block letters on top of that says, I can't feel my face. Yeah. When I'm with you. Very clever. Yeah, very clever. Uh, Wolfon. Again, unlike this team, very clever. 
Cash, can you describe Wolfon's wow. outfit now? <laughs> Winning as usual is how I can describe it. Yeah. I'll get another thing this team's not doing. Yeah, okay. So the three of us were all at the arena yesterday. You guys aren't there all the time. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm obviously on the beat, so I'm at the games. But, like, I would love to hear your, your, your vibe check on the arena and just the experience before we get into this discussion about how we dismantle the team. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I would describe it as somewhat apathetic from the fans in that if this fan base had true expectations of this team, we know the Toronto market, some of these games they'd be getting booed off the court mm. at like halftime. They've not been the booed game. not even once this year. And yeah. to me, that is indicative of a fan base that either knows this team isn't going anywhere and didn't have high expectations for them or is growing apathetic, which is the most dangerous thing in sports when a mm. fan base grows. I maybe wouldn't go that far because I think there's still a rabid fan base here. I don't doubt. But I think resigned is maybe a better way to put Fair. it. Mm, okay. Like they, you know, they're resigned to, to their current fate. And I don't know. I mean, like, if we're being real, I think the atmosphere inside Scotiabank has been trending down for a few years now, right? Can we say that? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I honestly thought... What are the symptoms of that, though? Like, what do you mean by that? Like... <laughs> just, to, just to set the mood, because a lot of people don't go to the games, you know? Uh, the symptoms of that? Like, sorry, like, why is it happening, or what no, does it sound like? Like, what does it sound like? What's the feel? I just don't know? think that they, like, the, the fans inside the building generally really get up for big moments in the way that they used to. Okay, and I'm not just yeah. talking about, like, mm -hmm. there's a big run or there's a huge dunk that gets people off their feet. I'm talking about sensing when a moment is big. Like, even... Like, I remember back in the day when the Raps would, like, blow a big lead, mm. right? And it would you'd feel, like, sort of like some of the dread creeping into the building. But there would be this kind of, like, collective understanding that the team needed a lift. And suddenly everybody would, like, swell, put their hands together. They'd swell. They'd get on their feet. Stuff like that, I feel like, just doesn't really happen anymore. Where it's, like, maybe you'll still get reactions to moments, but it just doesn't feel the same to me. You know what it hit home for me is early in the season that game against Milwaukee when they blew the doors off the Bucks and what was, like, the most surprising win probably the season so far. Right. And they really came out firing in the first quarter. And that was the quintessential moment, like, basketball fan moment, and we know we've seen it here for years, where, like, somewhat surprising performance or at least great first quarter performance, first quarter is coming to an end. That's usually a moment where the crowd rises in unison, yeah. swells, and, like, takes them home, mm -hmm. takes the team home to finish the first quarter with the ball in their hands as, like, a showing of appreciation of and like what keep the, it going you know yeah. and, and it and that wasn't the case it's like yeah they were cheering for like moments here and there in the first quarter but that first quarter came to an end i think the raptors had the ball in their hands and it was just like if someone had just put you in that moment and you didn't know any context you'd be like that's ah, a standard mm. first quarter moment you wouldn't realize oh actually it's early season and they just built like a 20 point lead against arguably yeah. the championship favorites mm -hmm. but again i i feel like it's been trending this way for a while and sure yeah i think we we all pretty much know why that's happening, yeah. right? Oh, well, you know, I don't want to put it on the fans exclusively or even no. on the pricing exclusively. It's also on the team to give you something to cheer for. You it's know? mostly on the team. We got, like, great hustle plays to cheer for. It was, like, Kyle taking a charge. Let's everybody get up. Let's let's really get into it, you know? Like, uh, uh, you know, Surge makes a big three or something like that. You know, people really get into those things, you know? But, like, it's not the same when, when you see some of the plays that happen. I mean, last night, like, look, it was never... A, such a big, it wasn't no 30, 40 kind of point game, but the Nuggets are so comfortable. They just kept them at a distance like, oh, you know what? Here's a five-man bench unit for you guys. Oh, you guys are coming back against this five-man bench unit. Here's the MVP now, and he's going to casually break your little double teams 
yeah. <laughs> just get easy buckets over and over and over again. Yeah. And even if you cut it to single digits in the fourth quarter, we're not stressing, we're not sweating at all. But I, I would just say, it. like, to speak to, you know, the idea that maybe certain fans are getting priced out of the arena, like, mm-hmm. to Cash's point about, like, that game against the Bucks was early on in the year, right? Yeah. Like, that at that point in the season, that's a signature win over a championship contender yeah, where yeah. at that point of the year, you don't know what the Raptors are going to be necessarily. You're like right, there's still right. hopes to be sold. Yeah. Okay. And, and also I get the the point of pricing fans out. I do. And I get that. Sure. The crowd will change as that happens and it has changed, but the playoffs in Toronto, even when ticket prices in general, weren't as expensive throughout the year, the playoffs in Toronto have always been very expensive. And you can go back, I'm even talking pre-championship years. You can go back to 2014 when they finally broke the playoff drought. You go to like 2016 when they made the East Finals. The the tickets for that East Final against the Cavs, those tickets were very expensive. And that place was rocking Mm -hmm. for games three and four. So I don't really fully buy the argument that as a qual, the fans have been priced out. No, the team isn't easy to root for right now. Like, sure, has it dwindled over years? Yes, but... A big part of it is they're not a contender, fine, but they're also not this, like, up-and-coming young team that fans feel attached to. Like, it's hard to convince fans to truly care, especially the ones that know what's going on. It's it's definitely a lot of both. It's because, you know, to the point about, especially the guys who know what's going on, season ticket holders, prices went up 15 to 20% across the board. Even though the team went worse, that's just not good business, period. But... We'll put that aside. We'll look at the actual Encore product. And I know um, you guys had some disagreement on this in terms of what you guys wanted to do. Cash essentially has overruled Wolf on here and has turned this segment into a what can the Raptors get for Pascal Siakam and OG Anobi? Yeah. I might just turn valuable. my mic off. Yeah, I will say I'm going to blame uh, producer Alex Wong, who is sitting in the studio, even though he told us he was going <laughs> to leave. He said he was going to leave while we were on air, but he's actually sitting here. I'm going to blame him only because... By the way, when he used to do this back when we were yes. at the score, too. He would just Pound sit the rock in the corner to listen, even though he would also <laughs> listen to us on the pod. He would want the live audience, too. Uh, but yeah, no, so Wolfon and I were discussing uh, Siakam trades in the media room last night, and then Blake and I were discussing them as well. And it was Alex who actually said, because we were getting so heated about it, save it for tomorrow. Mm. And I took that to mean, well, we're talking Siakam trades on the show tomorrow. All right, so, so I was not there because uh, post-game, I'm always up in the, the booth recording the post-game reaction podcast. I went with sarcastic yesterday, just as my reaction. Not like angry, not like disappointed, just sarcastic. Um, very ha- appreciative of the Nuggets for coming in and playing good basketball. Um, but so I wasn't here for that. What were some of your proposals? Let's start with, who do you want to start with, Pascal or OG? Maybe me, me and Wolfong could just rate these ideas. This is what people do in the media room anyway, yeah. so we might as okay, well Okay, so I was it. talking, last night I was talking Pascal, because the way I see okay, it yeah. is that if you're trading Pascal and it's you're definitely looking with more of an eye to the future and the deep future, like, I, I don't think you have to trade OG. I think, if anything, you would actually want to retain OG and Anobi and keep him as part of a Barnes-led future. I think that's fine. Mm. So I was talking more Siagam trades, but... What led to the discussion, and, you know, Wolfine and I have been having it off air for a while now, just bouncing ideas back and forth when it comes to Siakam trades, is that it's a lot easier said than done because they've let this bleed into another season instead of taking care of it in the offseason. Like, the Siakam situation in general to me is so perplexing because this isn't the case of a contender going into the year with a veteran star on an expiring contract when you say, look, worst case, he walks for nothing, but you're trying to win a championship now, so you're not too worried about that. This is very much a team in flux who 
should have known they were going to have to pivot to more of a future-minded mm-hmm. um, viewpoint soon. And they go into the season with a veteran star and expiring contract who, when extension eligible, they clearly indicate, like, if the Raptors believed Pascal Siakam was going to be worth his max going forward, a deal would have been done by now. Like, let's be honest about that. Because yeah. all indications have been that Pascal Siakam wants to remain in Toronto. Mm-hmm. To the point where, you know, who do we think was putting it out there that he didn't want to resign with other teams if they traded for him? It's probably coming from his side. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear he wanted or wants to remain in Toronto. If the Raptors thought he was going to be worth his max, I think a deal would have been done by now. So to me, they indicated that they're not confident that's the case. And they're not a contender. But they still went into another season with him as a pending free agent rather than trading him in the offseason. Yep. When you would imagine the packages would have been at least a little bit better because you're getting a full season of him rather than a half season. You of got him in for training camp. You could right. integrate yeah. a prominent player into your team. I'm not saying they team. would have got like yeah. a Gobert Mitchell type pack, but they would have got better than what they're going to get trading him between December and February. So that's one. The, the situation in general is perplexing to me, but mm-hmm. I now feel they've backed themselves into a corner where they're going to get something from him. I don't think you can keep punting this down the road where, oh, you extend him now, then trade him in the offseason. Like, at what point do you just rip the Band-Aid off and fully commit to a Barnes-like future? Having said all that, okay, so now let's start going through the teams, right? Yeah, let's, let's go. Like, Indiana is a team that's often – and I think he, ma- he makes a lot of sense there. He and would fit Wolf great Farm there. mentioned, like, that's probably the place where, like, you get a good package. But at the same time, if you're Indiana, how confident are you that Pascal Siakam's resigning there? Now, well, this logic, is a conversation you sense. have to have before right. you even trade for him. Okay. And, of course, there's back channels you can get to make that decision For sure. Happen. But if they're not confident that he's going to resign, then they're, they're not, not going to trade for him. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, then you go to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Even if Sacramento, like, let's say Sacramento was confident Pascal Siakam resigns there, I'm not sure they're giving up Keegan Murray. Not a chance. Okay, that's even if he resigns there. So then what are we getting? Like, exactly. Carter? Okay, so that's so then let's say take them out of the equation. Like, uh, OKC's not trading. Carter, Davion Mitchell, some filler side like Harrison Barnes. Yeah, yeah okay. not moving you, right? I mean, it'll. I mean, it does give the Raptors three rotation players as compared to one, but that's the only argument I could even credibly give. Golden yeah. State, do they move two of the like their four young guys are Kaminga, Moody, Pods, and uh, Trace Jackson Davis, right? Those are their yeah. four. So, okay, do they move two of those guys and a pick? For- and Wiggins. Or, or Chris Paul. Chris so, Paul's expiring contract. Somebody in the yeah. rotation. Chris I'm not Paul's saying that those guys are dying. Contract. Yeah. Two of those young guys in the are, Is Golden State doing that? Maybe. Uh, maybe. If they are, is that the winning package from the Raptors' perspective? Like, you just keep going down the line. Miami, okay, maybe Lowry's expiring contract and what? Jovic and a pick? Again, not really. So then to me, Goodness. I get to a point where it's like, if you are not going to get a package that includes a good young player that really moves you anyway, what if? The Sixers, and I'm not saying they have said this, this or they Alex's will do favorite it. idea. No, but what if, I'm just saying what if, if the Sixers decided, you know yeah. what, no team out there with young talent is blowing the Raptors away with an offer. What if we put just expiring contracts, the three guys they got in that trade? Mm-hmm. So from a player personnel perspective, they're not really giving you anything. But so it's like Marcus Morris, Covington, uh, Covington. and um, I can't remember who the third one would KJ be. KJ Martin. But it, it works yeah. out that it the salaries Batum. Yeah. And then they, but what they do is they include three picks. It's like, the least favorable of three teams' picks in 2026. I don't remember the three teams. Their mm-hmm. own pick in 2030, maybe swap rights in one year. Would that move you? Like, if there's no good young player on the market for Pascal, would you take a deal from Philly, for example, that you don't get any young players, but you get three picks or two picks in a swap? Or would you just say, no, none of this is good enough. I'm going to extend them and trade them later and keep kicking this can down the road? I would personally kick the can down the road because of the fact that I don't feel like I've gotten value for 
a really productive player? Like, what's the best player that you even remotely named in that mix? Kaminga? Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Like, like some somebody from the Pacers? I mean, like, the well, Pacers would be my preferred team. This is team, why I way, just but. don't really understand. Their strategy? Even, even if you don't see Pascal as part of the long-term future, just in terms of asset management, like tactically speaking, why not give him the extension and figure the rest out later? Even if it means like you can't trade him this year. It's like we were talking last offseason about how the idea that he might not resign was a deterrent mm-hmm. to these teams potentially putting their best packages on the table for him. And it's like, it's actually within your power to control that situation. You can give him the extension and then that part of the equation is solved. Exactly. Um, and it's kind of icky, obviously, to talk about things in those terms. Like when there's a guy who wants to be here to be like, you know, we'll extend him because it'll make him maybe easier to trade down the road. Obviously, those conversations would have to happen. Like you give the guy the full max and it's like. But it's, it's, part, it's, it's literally part of your business. job. It's part of your job. It's, it's like, not a pleasant part of your job. By the way, it's also something Masai's done in the past. If you go back to his Denver days, he literally did this when he re-signed Nene, and he yep. flipped him, like, right after re-signing him, exactly. like, six months later. So but whatever, this is 10 years ago, but anyway. No, I'm just saying, like, I don't... I'm sure that Pascal would be signing that extension with the understanding that he might get moved at some point down the road. So I just don't understand why they, you know, to Cash's point, let all of this uncertainty linger into the season, and now, like, they were backed into a corner already, but now... It's like even more so because the season's gone off the rails as early as it has. And now everybody around the league knows basically that they have to make a move. So they've got no real leverage Mm -hmm. in these negotiations. And it's like, if you're Philly, are you even putting three first round picks on the table knowing that you're going to have all this cap space in the summer and maybe you can just sign them for nothing? Like, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, they're they're not in a great spot with any of this. And that's kind of why... You know, I would agree that if you're building toward a Barnes-centric future, that OG makes a little bit more sense as a compliment to him. But I think there are more teams around the league for whom OG would make sense and who would potentially give up as much or more to get him. And, like, yeah, maybe he's a better fit with Barnes, but, like... What's the opportunity cost, though? Pascal's a much better player than OG. Yeah. Like, Well, yeah. And so I'm not convinced that like the pascal scotty thing can't work if they put the right pieces around them and maybe an og trade is the first step toward assembling the right kind of roster context around those two guys one that makes sense and you could get the best out of that pairing like i think that's possible and so i think you know people ask me it's like which one of these guys do you think they'll trade and i kind of feel like the answer is you know whichever one can bring them back the most and that honestly might be og even though pascal is clearly better yeah, um, you know, so on the OG side of things, I don't know if you thought about the market for OG, but it is definitely more teams that have been linked to OG. Let's just say that, right? Every time there's a Pascal report comes out, it's Atlanta had this discussion, and it was DeAndre Hunter and, uh, you know, A.J. Griffin, and they kind of balked at, like, Kobe Bufkin. I mean, like, I guess you could revisit that. I think you could probably go back and get Kobe if you really wanted to. Um, I don't know if that's the type of deal that's appealing to any of you guys. I, like, I mean, Adrian Griffin, by the way, he had a promising rookie year and then just, like, doesn't got, play oh, anymore. It's really weird. And also, like, DeAndre Hunter, like, I like DeAndre Hunter, but he's got four years on his deal now. Like, I'm not sold on, like, and also if you're building DeAndre Hunter Barnes, doesn't and, move me. Right, and if you're keeping OG, like, do you really want, it, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I think if you're the Raptors, you'd probably want 
bogey, like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. Um, was I mean, but the Hawks want to make a win now move, so but, they don't want to take saying. away. So that, it doesn't make player. sense, and they're not putting Jalen Johnson on the table. So yeah. that's another team where it's like, sure, it's it's easy to just throw scenarios out there mm-hmm. where it's Atkins on the Hawks, but then you start going through it, and it's like that probably not going to come up with a deal that works yeah. for both sides. And it's also again contingent on him essentially agreeing to re-sign their long term if you're going to yeah. give him that much value. OG, I think, is just an easier fit because a lot of teams can say. Look, we're gonna have to pay OG in the offseason, but we're comfortable paying for OG because OG to me is like a great luxury player that finishes off whatever thing you're you're currently working on. Yeah. Like OG on the Sixers, my goodness, the Sixers will be <laughs> terrifying. And obviously Nick is a big fan of OG. He's obviously there advising the whole program thing. But it's like those are the type of teams that will be looking to acquire OG and get real value out of it. I mean, last year's Cleveland. Cavaliers, for example, could have loved to use a version of OG. And they try to, like, kind of go half measures with, like, a Max Struess or, like, this and that. I mean, I just don't think that's currently working. Also, whatever, the Cleveland Cavaliers are just kind of disappointing and injured right now anyway. But those are the teams. But there's a much bigger marker for OG. But my thing is just, like, have you guys have ever gotten the indication that Masai would be open towards an OG trade? Because the reason I'm asking this question is we had Chris Haynes in the offseason when he was reporting on the Damian Lillard saga, when he was breathlessly reporting on the Damian Lillard trade saga, which obviously he was directly involved with. Um, he actually reported on a story where he was hanging out with Damian Lillard and Dame got a call from OG where OG was like, hey man, welcome to Toronto, buddy. I can't wait to play with you, whatever. And whatever, obviously it turned out to be a joke. It wasn't like they actually consummated a deal. It was just a prank call from OG who's a bit silly. But that kind of told me, it's like, wow, OG feels so comfortable in this. He knows he's not in the Dame trade. And it's like, if you're having discussions around Damian Lillard and you still didn't put OG into it, when are they going to trade OG? So I've always been skeptical that Masai would even trade OG in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think it would take a lot for them to move him. Like, I, I, okay. Again, my assumption would be that if the point of this is to build around Barnes going forward, mm-hmm. OG, as a younger guy, was maybe an easier fit, is the guy they keep. But at the same time, to both your point, he probably also gets you more on the trade market this season because he is more of a plug-and-play guy. Like, Siakam... He's a plug-and-play guy because he doesn't do that much right. on, on offense. Like, Siakam is the much better player. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. But as a non-shooting, uh-huh. kind of more ball-dominant player, sure. yeah. he's not as easy to fit into teams that are already really good. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Like, if you're trading for one of these guys, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all-in move. The types of packages that we're talking about it for Pascal's, like... Oof. You know, it's like pennies on the dollar, right? So it's not like, oh, man, you better, like, put all your chips on the table. But at the same time, if you're making a move like this, you're you're a good team, potentially a contending team that's looking to put yourself over the top. And for a team like that, what you're usually looking for, because you probably already have at least one, probably two high-level creators, mm-hmm. what you want is a guy who's got some off-ball gravity, who can hit catch-and-shoot threes, and who can defend. And OG can do both of those things better than Pascal can. That's why, mm-hmm. yeah. even though he's not as good overall, he makes a lot more sense for the types of teams that are probably going to be looking to make a move like this. So that's why I think Indiana for Pascal, like they're the team where you look at them and like they really, like they need a four. That's where they have a hole. And they actually, outside of Halliburton, don't have a ton of supplemental creation. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're the team that I can look at and be like, wow, they make sense as a Pascal destination. 
and they Don't have they also make sense for have, an OG destination because they're crying for anybody who will play defense. Th they make sense for either of those guys. So and what they, if we put both on the table for Indiana? Damn, and took Let's all go. the prospects. Well, <laughs> the thing with with OG, I know it's been said a lot. Like if you are Indiana and you're hoping to retain at least one of them, yeah. does the Indiana connection with OG yeah. like matter? By the way, you like, can't do both. I think there's just way but, too much but, salary, but yeah. whatever. But does that maybe help Indiana in terms of their efforts? To re-sign one of those guys, if if we're talking the Indiana sure. connection yeah, yeah. for OG, maybe like again, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming he enjoyed his time there, but I don't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is a video that circulated a couple years ago where OG had a conversation with Tyrese Halliburton. I'll just let people try to look for that video and try to find it and and, and read behind the context there of maybe he was serious, maybe he wasn't. But um, you know, um, the OG thing. So Indiana, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, again, I, I like a lot of Indiana's prospects. There is, we, we discussed with Lewis Atzman earlier too, there's, there is this like tax that you have to sort of account for, like an inflation almost, because they're, they're so good at offense and they play so many possessions that like you can't necessarily just directly translate one for one from that to Toronto. Um, you know, but at the same time, I do like a lot of their guys. Jairus Walker is, he was, a, was a top pick for them um, this season. He hasn't really featured too much, been playing in the G League, but Really fluid athlete, can shoot it, can handle it a little bit, um, can defend, um, you know, big body as well. I think it just fits a lot of what the Raptors kind of like out of those type of players. Um, they got excess guards as well. Love to see Andrew Nemar be in Toronto, for example. I think he's ready to take on a starting role, even though his numbers are modest right now. I like him both as a two-way player. Uh, Matherin, obviously, is, a, is an easy t candidate to target as well. Those are pieces I'd be looking for. I think that's the other candidate would be like a team like OKC. Like you, like OG, for example, could be a really nice upgrade to a team like OKC who are going to make the playoffs this year properly. Um, and then they're going to have to go into the playoff run going up against, I don't know, Kawhi is a very likely matchup. Uh, Luka, probably a likely matchup. LeBron, uh, KD, Booker, you know, these types probably want a big wing defender for that kind of team. So could you call OKC, for example, for like a Lou Dort and a Case and Wallace? Maybe even a pick if because they have yeah. a million of them. But even just that kind of basis. I, I think for sure you'd want Case and Wallace back. But again, OKC, and this kind of goes back to even when I was talking about Pascal, with OKC, like Sam Presti's gone on record saying, you know, we have to finish our breakfast first. Like we're basically insinuating they're not going to just make a, a win now trade for the sake of making it. I, th I want them too because yeah, me too. they're close Have they not finished their breakfast by now? Like yeah. they are clearly yeah. a top four team in the West. Oh, I, listen, I agree with you. I'm saying they should make a deal yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm just saying if you go by what Sam Presti has said and reports coming out of OKC, they are not in any rush to make such a deal, even though such a deal would give them a legitimate chance to win a title this year. Yeah, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just I take know. what Sam Presti said on media day as gospel. And but like, if you, you even a lot of the reports coming out of OKC seem to indicate that they're not that eager to make a win now trade. We'll see. I want them to. Yeah, and it would benefit the Raptors if they <laughs> want to. It really would, honestly, because I think you know the for the Raptors, like you don't just need to bring in one or two prospects. You need to bring in like as many prospects as you can. Like I, I was thinking about the roster last night, and it was just like it just kept sticking with me that there's six six guys out of fifteen that you just never would play in almost any scenario yeah. where you need to win. Six guys out of fifteen. So like Darko was. I, then I was like, you know what? I've been, you know, I, I haven't really been satisfied with Darko's performance, and we can actually get to that after this break. But also at the same time, his hands are so tied. Not only does the starting lineup doesn't fit well, but he has four bench players who are variously unproductive, like to, unproductive to varying degrees. And then past that, he doesn't really have other options to turn to. Like, 
it's tough. You have six guys out of 15 that you can't use. Like, well, well, and even just more than that, it's like, what do you do in the NBA in 2023 when you don't have quality guard play? Yeah. Like, that's, I think, what so much of this boils down to. Is there any team in the league that has worse a worse guard rotation that they consistently play, and not even worse, less productive guard uh, rotation than the Raptors do? I mean, I would have to think about it, like, off the top of my head. San Antonio, maybe, I guess? But yeah. they have a cell. And, and that's almost by choice because they're, like, they're not yeah. playing their best guards or using them as guards as much as they should, right? right. They, they tried the whole point. Vassell, Vassell is better than any guard on the Yeah, players, I think right. that alone already puts them ahead of the Raptors' guard rotation. Because it's like, yeah. I mean, there was the game that really highlighted for me was the, the Hawks game. And whatever, the Hawks obviously have a great guard rotation between Trey, Bogey, and, and, and DeJounte. I don't know if they all fit together, but they're quite productive. It was okay, the, the, when they beat the Raptors, they had 75 points combined, and the Raptors' guards had 23 points combined. And, like, it's not, they didn't get the same shot attempts, they didn't get the same minutes. But, like... <laughs> You got to make up 50 points just in the backcourt alone. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's tough. And I, I think, look, in terms of roster construction, mm -hmm. the front office, you know, hamstrung a great coach last year in Nick Nurse. And, you know, you can say there are reasons why it was beneficial for both sides to finally part ways, whatever. But in my opinion, still a great coach. And they hamstrung yeah. him with that roster. And I think this year they've hamstrung a rookie head coach. So it's two years in a row where... I'm not letting the coaches off the hook completely, mm -hmm. but I also don't think each either coach was put in a position to really succeed. Yeah, so, I mean, to take it back to the conversation about potential trade packages, that's why, like, you want to bring, bring back guards, as many as you can get. Yeah. And why the, like, the, the Hawks package doesn't really move me unless Bogey would be involved is, like, DeAndre Hunter, what is that doing for me on a but team? You're, you're doing it for AJ Griffin and Kobe Bufkin. Yes, but would like, go from like not playing for a team that is not even good mm -hmm. to like potentially both starting for you or at least one of the two starting for you. Yeah. Other one being a backup. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because like if you'd asked me in the offseason, I probably would have been on board with that because I, I was pretty high on AJ Griffin after what I saw from him in his rookie year. And then like you said, he's barely playing this year. And when he has played, he's looked awful. So I don't know right. what yeah. to attribute that to. Like maybe he's butting heads with Quinn Snyder. His confidence is shot like. We know that a change of scenery can sometimes do wonders for a young player who's just like not making it work in a particular place. Beyonce but... performed in Atlanta, for example. Man, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's another <laughs> serious red flag, obviously. <laughs> it's a huge red flag. <laughs> but why is my man so afraid of Beyonce? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta uh, change the whole DJ set. Four corners got to be in this deal. <laughs> wow. Sorry. All right, the Hawks are out. Yeah, no, no, the Hawks might be out. Yeah, but but like. Yeah, the reason that the Pacers make sense is yeah. they're they're no rich with guards and and you know it's kind of like you know take take your pick of their young, interesting crop of guards that you think could really blossom in a new situation. Can I ask you? This is just apropos of nothing. You think T.J. McConnell will start the point guard for Raptors? I, I was literally about to say, do you guys think T.J. McConnell would be the best guard on this team? <laughs> uh. No, I would still take Dennis over okay. over okay, TJ, just, just but he would help immeasurably oh, as, as a backup. backup guard. Oh my god! Um, and I mean, the one that I just like can't get out of my head that is probably not going to happen, almost certainly not going to happen. But like, and I, you know, this a couple years I've been talking about this mm, now. Okay, Manual quickly, man. Oh yeah, yeah. He has oh, somehow yeah. hasn't worked out an extension with the Knicks. He's going to be an RFA. I don't know what their plan is with him, but like. And, and I don't think that works as a Pascal trade because Randall's there. Mm -hmm. And I believe me, I've tried to like find a three-team construction where they could reroute him elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. But 
would would like that be an OG destination? And would that be enough for them to maybe put quickly on the table? On paper, yes. But the two franchises are literally threatening to sue each other. <laughs> so you what better way to smooth that all over than by making a mutually beneficial trade? You know, it's water under uh, the bridge. This team is so funny, man. Why are they also being sued in the midst of all? This? I don't know. Um, uh, but I think yeah, okay. just just to the point about quickly and like this is sort of what it's just funny. Sorry. This is sort of what Ka- uh, Cash and I were talking about a bit last night. Is like I wouldn't be as interested in in a Philly type package where what you're getting yeah, yeah. is like just who, who knows what kind of picks a few years down the road. I think with what Scotty is showing you this year, yeah, playing at like a borderline All NBA level, like forget All Star, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's been All NBA caliber. I, I don't think you want to be taking such a long view. I agree. Like, you want to think about being competitive as early as next year. And, sh- like, maybe even this year, right? Like, if you if you just manage to make a roster balancing move, you know, like, we always talk about the Rudy Gay trade, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not comparing this situation to that one, yeah. but in terms of what a trade like that can do, the way that it can maybe shift responsibilities and balance the roster and just make everything make a little bit more sense. Yeah. You can start thinking about being more competitive as early as this year, but definitely next year. I think you're not, I don't know if you want to be thinking about like a few years down the road. So that's why somebody like quickly is very appealing to me. And even, you know, we, we kick this around. It's like, would you do Pascal for Zach Levine straight up? Just in terms of like, it's a, it's a downgrade. And if you're looking at like pure talent, but if you're thinking about fit, I don't know. I I, I, wouldn't I do it, said I would I would have to think about it because I would think about it, but I wouldn't do it. But think about the packages that we're talking about. What's actually going to be out there for Pascal? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think it would be. I would just. I just don't want to commit that much money to Zach Levine, and I know he's Fair. not. I wouldn't. I know he wouldn't be happy in Toronto either. You know what the shame of all this is, though, and I think we were talking about this last night okay. too. Is that like we're talking about all this and like you know whether they can compete this year if there's a balance like a roster balancing trade. Or as soon as next year. And it's like, if this is the end of the Siakam era here and the end of the short-lived Barnes and Siakam you know, mm-hmm. two-man era here, the shame of it is that we never really got to find out whether a team built around Barnes and Siakam could work because it was never built properly around Barnes and Siakam. Like, there was never enough shooting and creation and depth around them to really know mm-hmm. if it could work. Now, I understand that you know, both kind of being point forwards. There is some skill overlap there, and that does lead to diminishing returns. I'm not saying it was a perfect fit, mm-hmm. but it probably could have worked on some level yeah. had it been built properly around them with more shooting, creation, and depth, and we'll never know. Again, unless they do extend Siagam, kick the can down the road, see if they can trade in the offseason, or try to balance the roster around them. I don't know. But yeah. I'm going to assume this is the end of their two-man era coming up soon, and if that's the case, it is a shame because we... We can't say for certain whether it would have worked or not. It wasn't built properly around them in either of the years. The the sample that we have of it being somewhat constructed in a way that you would want, not entirely, but like a li- like last year after the trade deadline, the starting lineup, like with those like them two, OG, Yak, and Fred had like a one twenty five yeah. offensive rating, and that was with Scotty playing like a hundred times worse than he's playing right now. So, but do you think Scotty could have played at that level, or is there something inhibiting him from getting to that level with that current roster? With, with that roster, potentially, but like, no, not entirely. Okay, like there All are right. things that he's doing now, yeah, probably that he couldn't have done with 
that I guess with that construction, but well, he's also shooting the three much better. Like it's almost invalidating his own like improvements to say that he couldn't do it with that group. And also, Dennis has the ball in his hands the exact same amount that Fred did. Literally, if you look at their time of possession, yep. I think it's like dead even. Yeah, it's like so. Six I don't minutes. buy that like Fred was inhibiting Scotty somehow. I, I right. just don't. So, no, I think it's mostly about the leap that he's taken individually. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if you had. More shooting and better guard play, then that pairing absolutely could work. But it's, that's not the situation that we find ourselves in, unfortunately. Uh, it really isn't. Um, let me let me let me throw to you. Let me throw two just absolute Bill Simmons top of the brain, bottom of the brain style trade rumors at you. One actually, this is inspired because obviously uh, you know he talked about it on his podcast and he and he threw out the idea that like you know why why would the Knicks just get R.J. Barrett for O.G. Ananobi? Because uh, okay, so I sorry, I'm just I'm passing without, all without on. trying to you know dump all over a Canadian player that you know everyone wants to succeed. I don't want R.J. Barrett. I'm the Raptors. Okay, he's like go through his career. He has basically never been even average efficiency wise from any area of the floor in any season of his career, except I think like two or three years ago from three point range. We had that good three point shooting year, but and this year he's been okay from three, but he's really cooled off. Like he's a high volume inefficient offensive player and a you know a solid but inconsistent defensive player like does that change playing for his hometown squad i don't know maybe you know does he what would change <laughs> that's the thing that's yeah. the thing like does he end up having a, a wiggins career arc where he finds his place on a good team with like less of an offensive role and maybe becomes an all-star I'm, I'm not discounting that that could happen i'm just saying i i don't think the raptors should be eager to take him and that contract on and i don't think he's going to be better than og ananobi over the life of og ananobi's next contract mm. Okay. I take him as salary filler in an oh, Emmanuel okay. Quickly trade. Yeah. Then so, we're talking. Yeah. Also, these two teams, once again, are suing each other. So uh, <laughs> no, no deals getting consummated there. Would you do OG for Tyler Hero? Who is Miami's version of RJ Barrett that they throw into all these young trades for, for potential stars? I would maybe do Pascal around a deal built around Hero. I just, okay, sure. What would you do to Pascal for Hero? And then, I guess, salary filler because I think Hero doesn't make, he makes a decent he's, amount now, but he's like not, 25. Let me, let me look it up. I think he's making 30, but I'll look it up while but then you guys at the same time, the way this. that he, you know, reportedly value Hero. He's where, making 30. Wasn't yeah. there something where, like, I don't think and this is just, you know, like materializing out of thin air in my mind, but wasn't there a report that Pat Riley told Tyler Hero something he would only be traded for a top 75 all time player? As a Dame? I.E. Dame. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but, <laughs> Who could that be? Yeah. Uh, but anyway. LeBron, maybe? I mean, I yeah. actually think, you know, with Tyler Hero, okay. I think so many people kind of started uh -huh. dumping on him because of how highly the Heat valued him that he almost in a way started becoming underrated. I think Tyler yeah. Hero was a good offensive, a really good offensive player, you know, who'd been mm -hmm. in a winning environment. I, 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 would, I would trade OG for him. I would you trade Pascal for him? Because I think I would too. Yeah, I think that's probably the best you could get. Yeah, I, I would do that. Well, bad news. Um, because Pat Riley said <laughs> October 24th of this year, quote, we have never shopped him and had no interest in ever trading the guy, Riley said of Hero, according to the Associated Press. But when you're talking about acquiring one of the top five players in the league, there isn't anybody on our team that won't be discussed. So, yeah, yeah. probably not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's fun. You know, it's fun. It's fun. We, we, we approach the Raptors being bad in a different way. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Luke. Continue to be joined by Jessica Sharon, Joe Wolfon of The Score. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the Pound the Rock podcast. Read all the pieces uh, that they write. Sorry, I almost knocked over my coffee and I was panicking for a second because uh, Kipper is here after me. And uh, if he has to smell my coffee all over the floor here, he would uh, probably put the jersey over my head and, uh, you know, go to a go-to play. But uh, anyway... <laughs> We were talking about the break, and I think we actually have officially concluded that there is no other guard rotation in the league that the, that we would functionally take over Toronto's current guard rotation. Because yeah. well, Washington's close. Washington yeah. is close. Yeah, because it Yippee. was Tyus Jones, who I think we would all objectively start over. For example, any of the Raptors' three guards. Yep. Um, but then Jordan Poole is like, is Jordan Poole? Yeah. So you know, on paper, skill set wise, you know quite skilled, but, um, you know, obviously he's making lots of uh, silly decisions. But we discussed uh, Portland. San Antonio, I think, is probably also, like, you know, push, you know, a little bit there. But Detroit, you guys had over them. Uh, who else did we discuss? Portland, we had over them pretty definitively, actually. Uh, yeah. Man, Utah. Portland's Utah. got a great guard rotation. Yeah. That's actually why they're competitive. Simons, Sharp, yeah. Brogdon. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Yeah, you're right. Like trade that hey, with the Raptors pick, backcourt and we they're like competing for a home court third. right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. uh moving to a different topic then, because uh we have one more on the Raptors, and then if we still have a little bit of time left, I maybe want to talk about the MVP race because Wolf on you wrote a great piece about how Jokic and Embiid are both like I mean, Jokic and Embiid and they're they're amazing. Embiid, by the way, fifty one points against the best defense in the NBA last night. The Raptors will see Joel Embiid in Philadelphia on Friday. My goodness, that's going to be a bloodbath. But uh, let's go quick conversation about Darko Ryakovic. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on terms of like the pros and cons. I think one clear pro is that Darko has brought in a really personable approach towards coaching, but Cash, um, you know, let me just set you up. Do you like this particular style of personable approach from the coach Darko Ryakovic? Okay, so I do, and I definitely think that's a positive. Of course it's a positive for a coach to you know, be supportive of his players, for the players to think that he has their back, for them to get along, to, for them to just generally have a good working and communicative relationship with the coach. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important as you build the team out going forward, you want that to happen. But I think it's also overblown in the sense that, like, let's go down the line at some of the players who maybe were reported to have some clashes with Nick or just for whatever reason seem to really have taken to Darko, right? Like okay. you had Gary Trent on media day talking mm-hmm. about how, oh, I've never communicated this much with a coach, right? Well, Gary Trent's having a really bad year, mm-hmm. okay? You had, I think Chris Boucher said something along the same lines and everyone has said, you know. He said it on this show. Right. Yeah. And we actually went said, through a whole Nick Nurse slander for that interview. And people said, you know, well, Nick used to throw players and especially Chris under the bus after yeah. games. He said he and, got used to it. Right. And yeah. Darko, you know, is so good to him. I'm pretty sure Chris Boucher is playing less than he did under Nick Nurse, mm. and he's not playing that well, okay? Mm. Malachi Flynn, everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people thought, well, the issue is that Nick Nurse just isn't giving him enough rope. He's not trusting him. He's he was not in le- the nursery. Yeah, he's in the nursery, right? The dog yeah, it, was a, it was a great, he's it was not a great term. He's giving him the chance to prove he belongs. Well, guess what? Darko Ryakovic is giving him all the chances in the world, all the opportunity in the world, telling him he likes it better when he smiles, right? And all this positive kumbaya stuff. 
And guess what? Malachi Flynn still isn't an NBA guard. Like, the positive reinforcement, the extra communication, the fact that the players like him more, that he's not throwing him under the bus, I get it, it's nice. But it doesn't change the fact that a player or a team isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part where I think it's being way too overblown because you can look at the guys who specifically you would think would benefit from Darko being a different way than Nick, and it doesn't change the fact that they are not good enough, that the team he's coaching is not good enough. So that's the part of it. I think people are making too much of a big deal because, you know, uh, maybe a better coach or at least a better roster and better players he was dealing with would be a lot better than a coach being communicative and positive, but with a roster that's not good enough. You go on this great rant while wearing uh, I Can't Feel My Face <laughs> gingerbread man shirt is so good. But, Sorry, man. This is why people got to watch, man. <laughs> Can't just listen. Anyway, Wolf on your response. But to be clear, you're not saying that this is like a bad approach. You're just no. saying it doesn't change the fact that the yes, the, like the talent and the roster construction is ultimately what's at issue. It does feel like sugarcoating in a way. Right. I'm not gonna it's, lie. It's a but good this approach. Whole, this it's whole a good season. This whole season has been about sugarcoating. Uh-huh. We talked about this at media day. Yeah. All talk about last year was all about selfishness, and now the selfishness is gone. Like mm. we got this new system. We're gonna share the ball going to be completely different we're turning over a new leaf mm. like he you know messiah is out there basically saying culture reset without actually saying culture reset well right? he's already like, said that in a previous press conference so he can't go back in a classic term but, but what i'm saying yeah. is like that the whole point was about changing the culture changing the vibes changing the aesthetics of this team and i'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter but it always felt to me mm-hmm. like trying to put lipstick on a pig mm. and selling us not us, but like the, yeah. the Raptors fan base, this vision of a, a, a new look and a different feeling kind of a team and expecting that that was going to, I mean, I think it did early in the season generate a little bit more optimism and positivity sure. about yeah. the direction of the team. And I think it still could, but now we're, you know, a third of the way into the season and the flaws in the roster construction have very much been exposed mm-hmm. and it's made it extremely clear that that is still what's at issue. It wasn't about selfishness. It wasn't about the way that Nick Nurse coached the team. And again, I'm not saying that, that doesn't mean that having a more personable approach, a more personal touch doesn't matter. Like of course you laid it's objectively out, good. You would want that from any boss. Absolutely. Yeah. And you laid out, you know, all, all the players who have not, performed especially well in spite of that personal touch but hey maybe like you look at scotty barnes right who's to say that his relationship with darko or just him feeling better about the state of the team in the locker room hasn't contributed to him performing better than it did last year you know like we we if we're going to look at the like the negative cases then we should mm-hmm. shine a light on the positives as well but i'm just saying it like when when you say it's sugarcoating it like that's what this entire season has been about to me and I called it out at the time like this is pretty much exactly how I saw things playing out where it's like it's all well and good to say we're going to play this new style we're going to share the ball more you know we're going to have more motion in our offense going to play 0.5 basketball going to have more harmonious vibes all this stuff Mm. sounds really nice but at the end of the day it's the like the talent and the fit that is going to dictate how successful you are it's a it's a huge salesman like, used car salesman pitch. Like, it's, at the end of the day, you are enthusiastically being sold a used car. That's it. You know, it is what it is. Um, I, I think, to me, what's been frustrating, because it's hard for people to be like, well, if you criticize Darko, you're letting the front office off the hook. Or if you criticize the front office, you're letting Darko off the hook. 
I think to me, the way to evaluate the coach is, okay, what do you believe the level of the talent on the, on the team currently is? I don't think the talent fits great. I think that there's not a lot of depth. But ultimately, there should be, a, this is the, on paper, a team that should be really good defensively, struggle offensively, and if they all played really hard to their capacity, probably around a 500 team. Like, that's what I would expect out of this group. And to me, I feel like they're not being optimized by play, being played in the right way. Um, and also, I just generally don't see a lack of folks, like, like just energy, focus, whatever. Darko pretty much said all those things after yesterday's loss. By the way, eight straight games in a row now where they've been down 10-plus uh, at some point. Um, and, you know, we have taken a team which should be 500 on paper and made it three, like, a, a, a you know, 33% win team. That to me, like, like, how is that not coaching? How is it not coaching when it's like, okay, Nuggets go on a 11-3 run, and instead of waiting for the first quarter to end, Darko uses one of his timeouts. 45 seconds left in the first quarter. All right, we could have just waited two more possessions. But, okay, fine, we don't want to wait. We need to stop it, so we need to stop the bleeding. You know, I'm not even disagreeing with that. What do you drop out of that timeout, though? They come out of that timeout, and by the way, um, Scotty and Pascal are both on the floor. And they come out of that timeout with eventually a pick and roll for Malachi and Precious. And Malachi gets a switch against Zeke Naji, tries to attack him, pretty athletic, you know, big, uh, gets a, a half step on a step back and then shoots a fadeaway, tries to bank it off the glass, and it literally hits the, the top right quadrant of the backboard. And because it was such a bad miss, Precious was actually in a great position for the putback. Was Malachi putback. smiling when he did it, though? I wasn't smiling. <laughs> I wasn't smiling because Pascal is on the wing, open, by the way, being like, what are you guys doing? And Scotty's in the corner being like, why am I in the corner? You know what I mean? That's directly out of a timeout. So that's why I'm saying, like, it's okay to, like, be upset at the front office. But, like, there's nothing to me that says definitively that the coaching on the, on, on the team right now is, like, a positive night to night. It just isn't. And I would love to hear anything to the contrary. <laughs> okay, so I, I, think, I would, because I, I want to be fair to Darko. I think early in the season, I actually liked his timeout management. I liked some of his stuff coming out of timeouts. I thought early sure, in the season okay. it was strong yeah. and it was a positive indicator going forward. I agree that it has definitely slipped. In the last month or so, yes, I mean, like... As the team yeah. has slipped. And I definitely think, yes, it's fair to say he hasn't helped himself in some regards and has shot himself in some regards for sure, but... I also think we're, you know, a third of the way through his first season as a head coach. I think there's a, you know... I'm not saying fire Darko no, now. No, That's under, ridiculous. Yes. And the, the front officers never do that. Yeah, I understand. But, but, but what I'm saying is, I guess, there's been coaches that have grown with their teams over okay. the years, right? And, like, you can look at Michael Malone in Denver, who yeah, yeah, I think yeah, is sure. now in his eighth or ninth season, he's, won the title. He's really grown. If he you really look has. at early in, in his tenure with the Nuggets, there was a lot of angst about mm -hmm. whether he was the right coach or them, whatever, and they just stuck with him. And I... I I've always loved that story because I genuinely think Michael Malone mm -hmm. grew with that team. Like, you talk about a team rebuilding and coming up. I thought he improved as a coach and mastered the game. Because I think you do as you get time on the job. And I'm not saying Wayne Darko... with the Raptors. Right. right? Yeah. And I'm not saying Darko's going to eventually coach a 59 with team or win a champion. I'm just saying I do think it's too early to definitively decide whether he's a good head coach or not. I think he's had some I, good I moments I early in the season. But I, I think he's had some bad moments. But if when you also watch the performance day after day, every single day, I would love to see some improvements in the micro from gaining it. Even things like he's never once, even if Dennis is playing poorly, put Dennis on the bench to close a game. He's benched Jakob like a couple times now, including back-to-back -back games where he hasn't played in the fourth quarter. He's done it once with Dennis. Why did he bring Dennis back into the game in the fourth quarter last night? Yeah, I would, I would be good with... 
more minutes without either of Dennis or Malachi on the floor. And, you know, like, sure. Why hasn't he tried that? Scottie why why or, does a point guard have to be on the floor, right. even though this roster was built for uh, just forwards yeah. to just do yeah. their thing? Especially when the two guards that he, you know, almost um, demands, one of them's on the court, one yeah. of them is primarily a backup, a good backup guard, and the yeah. other one is not a rotation guard. All right. We've, uh, we've unfortunately run out of time, but uh, it, it was good to have these discussions. Wolfond, I know this is uh, not as nuanced. So next, no, next time you guys come on, we're gonna have a Wolfond centric pound the rock. No, no, no this was great. But I mean, I know we're we're short on time. But I'll just say, and I think one of you said it earlier, right? Like he was kind of coaching with the hand tied behind his back, right? And so I then, think, what are you doing with the other hand, though? It's important stuff, to me. Figuring some stuff out, I guess. All right. All right. Um, Fine. But Fine. I, I think there have been some good things, right? We're seeing like. Definitely way more ball movement. Their, their assist rate movement. has yep. spiked. Like mm -hmm. the defense is I, tanked. They don't. It, the defense is weird because that just feels like a question of execution to me. And I know you can, yeah, if you want to talk about like focus, energy, that stuff maybe does fall on the coach too. But schematically, I'm totally fine with what they're doing. Okay. I actually like a lot of the things they've done schematically. Right. Like moving Scotty off the point of attack, having him operate more on the back line of the defense has done wonders for yeah. him as a defender. Scaling back the aggressiveness giving up fewer corner threes, putting themselves in rotation less. Like, yeah. all of that makes perfect sense. Right. They're just not executing well. We are out of time. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow.